want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep us. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Um, it's I don't know why TV decided to get so unpleasant this week. Yeah. Is that just me? No. It's not just you. TV, discussion around TV, uh, our experience talking about TV. There's a lot of unpleasantness. Uh, I'm just going to get this out of the way at the top here. Um, this week we're joined by the fabulous Elena Rivera from Sound on Sight to talk about Jane the Virgin season one. And it was great to do a season spotlight. So glad to have Elena on the podcast. Um, however, guys, just so you know, Skype was being very difficult. It is the sound, the audio quality is not what we would like, but we do feel the content of the segment is, uh, merits our giving it to you guys or putting it out on the podcast. So we apologize for the sound quality there. We will endeavor to have that, to have Elena back on the show uh, soon. So you guys can actually, you know, hear her voice. Um, but again, we feel the content is, is worth it. So just know that that's coming at the end of the podcast. We would love to sack those responsible, but we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. Fie you internet demons slash gods. Um, yeah. So let let's, Let's start with some of the unpleasant discussion around television this week and get it out of the way so that we can focus instead on one of the few shining uh, examples of positivity around the TV discussion <laughs> this, this week. So, uh, sure. Simon, why don't you take this away? We, we, we may have a Louis C.K. problem on the podcast, but it's not yet confirmed. What, where, what, what's going on? It's really complicated. So... Um, there was a story on Defamer this week, um, which is one of the Gawker blogs, one of the more gossipy ones, uh, and it uh, it alleges that uh, CK has been involved in what they call uh, sexual misconduct. Certainly not uh, not on the level of some of his uh, some of his peers in the industry, let's say, but uh, also certainly not good. On the other hand, uh, the story itself is a little bit thin. On the other other hand, stories like this tend not to just be made out of whole cloth. So, yeah. Yes. Anyway. It is it is difficult because the allegations in this article do not come from victims. They come from friends of victims, of alleged victims. And so it's difficult to know how to respond because here at the Televerse, we are certainly not going to be CK apologists and say they're just making this up because that doesn't make sense um, to me at least. And, uh, and because we don't know, so we can't possibly know e either way. And yet without someone stepping forward and saying, this is a thing that happened to me, the best this can possibly be is hearsay, which doesn't mean it's not true. However, what do you do in a situation like this? 
Yeah. So anyway, so that's happening. That that's just you should just know that's a source of unease in the Televerse offices. Now let's just quickly, if the allegations, if nothing, if we don't hear anything else on this for a while, what is the game plan? Will you still watch, still review, still discuss, still enjoy Louis, or will that be a more challenging thing? Um, I assume yes. Um, I, like as I said, it's it it is thin, um, especially if you if you read the story and really like. And even there was even a counter story on uh, on on, a, on, a, on another blog talking about. Um, Sort of the fact that they already had a story in 2012 that someone recanted and blah blah. So yeah, I mean it's it's just it's it's going to add a level of uh, of ickiness to uh, to certain levels of watching it. But on the but you know it's certainly not uh, it's it's not Woody Allen levels of discomfort for certain. Mm-hmm. Now, if this is you know confirmed, people come forward and say this is what happened to me. Um, oh man, that's gonna be a whole other thing. Yeah, that's because anyway, that's if if that happened, I would have to. That would be really complicated for me to be thinking about <laughs> for a variety of reasons. For me, if that happened, I would stop watching and stop discussing Louis. I would, if you wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but of course that'd be fine. I just would not participate in that part of the podcast but um for me that that's where i stand if if our listeners are curious that's why i will not be covering the new woody allen show on the podcast at all um and again if you want to simon you're welcome to you're my co-host it's just as much your podcast as it is mine um that's why we're going to keep talking about louis for now i'm going to keep talking about louis and we will reassess if, as the situation and evolves. as you know when more develops or there's you know more that comes to light the, i i would just like to say more, more broadly that the, the issue of uh of separating art from artist is is like is utterly personal like i don't mm-hmm. begrudge anyone who still goes to see woody allen movies or uh, well, I would probably be weirded out if you went to see Cosby Live, but <laughs> but I mean, like it's it's totally personal, and like I've I've listened to tons of musicians who've done horrible things, so I don't know why it bothers me less with music than it does with with film or TV or whatever. But or or you know, generally it does. I'm not sure why. There's like easier to disembody things. I, I'm not sure, but you. I mean, you listen to Wagner, right? <laughs> That's yeah. Not, not the same thing. Well, but for me, it makes a big difference if the artist is alive and benefiting from yeah. my dollars or my discussion. That makes a big difference to me. So um, Wagner is not, uh, you know, simping champagne and caviar and eating caviar based off of my dollars. Um, so I'm not too concerned about it. And usually when discussing Wagner, the topic comes up. So it's not like people don't know about it either. That's true. Um, yeah, there's a lot of scholarship discussing that. That's for another time. But, um, that's a thing that happened this week in television. There's lots of other disturbing things that happened on television this week. We'll get there. But instead, let's end this opening segment with some happy news. David Lynch is coming back to Twin Peaks, or is back, and is going to have more episodes. And who knows how long this is going to last. But this week, particularly with all the horrible television and, and depressing television that was happening, let's let's focus on that. 
at this point he's not allowed to leave again yeah i think so at this point like i'm i'm a lynch stan and if he leaves again i'm gonna be angry and that's not cool (laughs) so do you know exactly what they've they've expanded the episode order as i understand it which i'm guessing was the source of the original budget problem yeah that makes more sense like he was he wanted to do nine episodes but they were all going to be 82 minutes long (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know so i mean i'm 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 guessing they'll expand it to i don't know 10 or 11 like i don't think we're gonna be looking at a 22 episode order although that would be hilarious (laughs) (laughs) um so yes i don't know if this means they'll delay the start date or not um they haven't said anything about that but it seems like they pushed back production at least like two months so you would think that would make a difference anyway uh yes so twin peaks is back i mean when it premieres it may be horrible and we all may may regret the day that we were excited about him coming back (laughs) but well but i mean if it's gonna happen it's gotta happen with him so i'm glad they were able to work it out absolutely um at the end of of the podcast like i said we'll be talking with elena rivera uh from sunset about jane the virgin but we're also reviving the spotlight segment this week because guys mad men Madman. We will be doing a DVD shelf, but we're going to wait a couple months, give ourselves some time to rewatch, to process. We didn't want, you know, this is such a monumental show. We didn't want to try to record a segment on it the the day after, the couple days after it aired, or certainly not even just a week after. We wanted some time to process and reflect on the show. So there will be a, D- a DVD shelf for Mad Men later this summer. Um, but for this week, there's, it's, there's a lot to talk about with that finale. Um, so yes. we will have a lengthy spotlight section on Mad Men. But first, why don't we uh, head on over to the comedy section? Yes, Simon? Yeah, let's do that. So we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in comedy and reality. comedy we're not actually talking about the jane the virgin finale because we're going to talk about that as as part of our season one discussion with elena at the end of the podcast instead we're going to kick things off with a little uh grace and frankie talk as we said last week uh, that that all of season one dropped on netflix this past week so we'll talk a little bit about that then i'm going to talk about the amazing race finale monster truck heroes and we'll go back to the comedies then and talk uh episodes we've both seen so that's adventure time uh hoots inside amy schumer i'm sorry louis sleepover silicon valley homicide and veep storms and pancakes but first off uh, i don't have too many thoughts on grace and frankie um but but again we thought we should check in with that how many episodes did you watch simon oh i only watched two i as we've as we've established with the netflix shows if it doesn't show promise i get really really impatient with netflix shows (laughs) Fair enough. I watched the first four and then I skipped ahead and watched the finale. And I think the the main thing for me with this app with this show is that it very much it did not feel essential. And like you say, there's a lot of TV right now. It's getting easier and easier to pull the trigger on shows. And I know that there are some people who really love Grace and Frankie. I very much respect everybody, uh, all, all the cast involved. Um, but I didn't feel like there was anything that I needed 
to watch either. There was any character I hadn't already seen before or or um, type of storytelling that wasn't being explored. Even the, the, the hook of the show where where Jane Fonda and uh, Lily Tomlin's longtime marriages split up because their husbands, partners for, you know, law partners for so many years, uh, reveal that they are in a relationship, have been together for 20 years, and they're going to get married. They're, you know, divorcing their wives, and they're going to start building their life together as out gay men. I didn't feel the chemistry at all between Sam Watterson and Martin Sheen, who play the husbands. And I think that was an important thing for me to feel. Like, I could feel a friendship camaraderie with the the various spouses ex you know divorcing divorcing spouses but i didn't feel as strong a connection between the two men as i think i was supposed to um and then the the just the the two wives who really don't get along they're an odd couple but guess what they need each other i mean it's like it's a narrative we've seen a million times uh, how did you feel about these performances and did you have the same issue that i did of just not feeling the spark that was supposed to be between the this long-term couple. Uh, I mean, that's definitely one problem. It, I, I mean, at least in those two episodes, I never really got past the feeling of stunt casting. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole show has this weird feeling where the, the those four leads are played by such overqualified A-listers, and the material just doesn't merit that level of casting. Um, at least it didn't in the episodes that I watched. I mean, but my bigger issue was just the fact that I wasn't laughing mm-hmm. at all. And like, I think it's at the end of the pilot, you get that extended peyote sequence, which man, when you're going to the, when you're going straight to the peyote in your pilot, it's a pretty good sign. You've got some hacky humor going on. Well, and, and the casting, like you say, these are very overqualified people. So it just gets distracting if the if the content isn't up to their caliber then it's very just because then then i just spend the whole time watching this going you've got lily tomlin and jane fonda why aren't you giving them more to do actually the the actress or the character that i most enjoyed that i got the most laughs out of was june diane Raphael who is so much fun as Jane Fonda's daughter and I think really gets a lot of mileage out of her material. Um, I would have loved to see more people of of that ilk, the, the kind of comedians that I enjoy seeing pop up all over the place but haven't, you know, broken through to where the mainstream, at least I assume the mainstream audience, you know, knows them by name, their, where their household names, um, even though I think maybe that should have happened by now with Junda and Raphael. Um I don't know. What did you, you know, would you agree with that? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I mean, it needed something to be funnier. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like you said, it, it, it's, it's a sort of premise that sounds kind of novel when you first hear about it, especially with the casting. But then you realize if you take the casting away, it's not that novel mm-hmm. uh, or, or interesting. And, and I mean, you, you skip right to the finale. Did it seem like the show had evolved at all? Not much. There, I mean, there have definitely been developments, and I skipped right over a significant arc by a, a prominent guest star. Um, uh, Craig T. Nelson shows up as a love interest for for one of the one of the women, um, but yeah, I really it just by the end of the season they had settled into like a a Golden Girls kind of feel where it's these two women living together from these different backgrounds and they don't always get along but you know they've got each other kind of thing which can be very satisfying don't get me wrong go back and listen to our golden girls tv shelf love that show um 
But again, that show was funnier than this show. And I think these, like, like you've said, I think these are eminently incredibly uh, talented actors. I just wish that the show gave them more funny things to do than just Lily Tomlin talks to herself a bunch because she's mm. Lily Tomlin. E. Yeah. Also, uh, T- um, Tomlin and Fonda have alleged that they made the same money as their male supporting actors. So uh, that that takes a little bit of the feminist <laughs> yep. joy out of it. If anyone was enjoying that, yep. sorry, sorry. Uh, so so yeah, there. I think there's a second season coming for this one. I want to say I could be wrong on that, uh, but I don't know that I will make the time for it. I wouldn't recommend anybody else. If if you're not if you haven't already checked it out, if you weren't um, very prompted to do so just by the casting and the premise i don't know that this is for you if you're looking to burn some time though and and you want just like a sort of affable spend time with these fabulous ladies then sure go for it um but yeah watch for gene and Raphael. don't watch for the premise or the leads it it should be a whole lot better than it is yeah let's move on to our next show which of course you haven't seen you haven't kept up with the amazing race at all this season uh but i watched the the whole season including this finale monster truck heroes we are officially done with the blind date and uh existing couples season i really hope they don't do this again um but what was very interesting about it is that the blind dating couples uh, the people who just met each other in time for the ra- you know at the start of the race were the top 3 so half of the there were six teams that had just met at the race and six teams that were dating pre previously dating and the top three were all new couples and that just goes to show you what is an asset and what is not an asset on the amazing race and having a similar focus and drive everybody who signed up to go on the show uh with a random partner they all wanted to you know well mm-mm. All but one of them seemingly really wanted to win a million dollars. And so having, you know, if the ones who were able to stay positive and work together and support each other are the ones that did really well. And thankfully, the team that I think most of America must have been rooting for won. The other team that America was rooting for got eliminated um, right away. So, so, so it came down to a really, really annoying team and a nice enough team and a super likable team and the super likable team won. I liked the final challenge. I didn't like the, the, the roping the cows or, or, or doing the cattle drive because it really felt like it was just a guided tour of here's what cows look like and ride a horse. Um, it didn't seem like there was any particular skill involved. And certainly I don't know how it could have taken one team more time or less time than the others. So that just seemed like going through the motions, but the rest of the challenge, uh, challenges this week seemed, uh, pretty fun, pretty interesting. And on the whole, I guess I'm glad with who won. I would like to think there's going to be another season of the amazing race, but I just, it was just so super skeezy the way that they kept hammering. Have we found love everyone? Are we, did you fuck yet? Did you would you would you please do that for us? <laughs> We're really trying to get ratings. It was just super gross, and uh, especially none of the 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 new couples were into it. There weren't like there. This isn't The Bachelor, you know. This isn't people going on, you know, trying to be exhibitionists, and that's what they wanted. This is people trying to race around the world and win a million dollars. So it was just every time that he would, they would like the Phil would like prod them about it. it just was like. Ugh. Giving them all, like, date night everything? Ugh. And can I just say, like, uh, having not seen this season, like, 
being on the amazing race seems like the least romantic thing mm-hmm. ever yeah like why what 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 could happen on the amazing race that could possibly a get you in the mood and b think that it would be a good idea slash a good use of your time well uh the, there are there are a lot of very beautiful scenic things that they get to experience and they did things like let's go to monaco and dress all the ladies up in ridiculously nice gowns and the guys in tuxes and then we'll take them have them walk through a casino and deliver flowers and chocolate to each other and that kind of like it was, exactly listeners simon is cringing and that's how i feel about this as well uh but it was very like the social experiment part of it see how the people do if they have to go on the amazing race with someone they've never met before that ended up being actually really interesting just just let's stop with the trying to get people to make out you know because the kids want to see the people make out. I have no idea what their angle was, but CBS, Phil, no, no more of that. Uh, let's move Did, on. It, is is Big Brother getting better ratings and they're trying to get some of that action? Is that it? I have no idea. I just know that the ratings have consistently, pretty consistently gone downhill the last few seasons. Um, because I think p- people are aware of the format and they're just, they want something shiny and new. So I think the last couple seasons have been pretty good. I like the, I've liked the casting the last couple seasons. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to the challenges and the casting. And um, for the most part, they did pretty good this season. Uh, but who knows? I mean, I really like the amazing race in general. I hope it sticks around, but I, I, other people there are people who don't like so you think you can dance i don't understand people's tastes in reality shows basically is where i'm at with this um let's move on to our next show that's adventure time hoots and we got to see the cosmic owl it was so cool to get a full episode with the cosmic owl yeah although apparently this episode had had layers that i didn't even understand until you explained them to me so uh, (laughs) Adventure Time, the 11-minute cartoon that that sometimes requires multiple viewings. Yeah, it was cool to see Prismo again and like having the the bird or whatever be Gunther <laughs> was pretty great. Uh very dark and foreboding as well. I loved just the throwaway line about, "Should I be feeling manipulated right now?" Because I think I should be, uh, but I'm cool with it. I thought that was was pretty great. I I like that that we get this, you know, we get more information about Finn. Uh, and, uh, you know, what's to come for him a little bit hinted at the beginning, but really it's the princess bubblegum thing that is the mega downer, but packaging all that with the cosmic owl and, you know, his search for love, I thought was, was pretty delightful. Um, I liked all his games, like solitaire and different, you know, all these different board games for all the one person games. Yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, and yeah, like, like we said before, I enjoy when we get these just sort of out of nowhere, out of left field, uh, episodes for Adventure Time. So I thought this was pretty fun. Yes. Also it had butt feathers. Yeah, there you go. I mean, how who could resist butt feathers? Certainly, who could re- resist uh, Gunter's butt feathers of anyone's? I mean, those are some pretty darn good-looking butt feathers there, Simon. But let's let's move swiftly on to Inside Amy Schumer because I'm feeling that we are on different. We have different takes on this one. This episode is I'm sorry, and we got the guy wanting to to fuck his beer. Uh, we got Amy Lake Blively on basically on Letterman, and uh, we got the Recapper and Pizza World Nights, and I'm sorry were the with the sketches. So how how did this one break down for you? I didn't actually find any of the sketches funny. Weirdly, this was like a bizarro episode of 
Inside Amy's humor for me because I really actually enjoyed the interview with the gigolo and I would have happily watched more of that, but I wasn't particularly... I mean, sketches like the like the I'm sorry thing with the panel and the women constantly appall. Like, I, I understand... Like, I get the point that it's making and it's a it's a nuanced point you don't see addressed very often but it was not funny i didn't see, think i it's maybe it's laughter of recognition but yeah I, I i was laughing at that and then when i went to the movies today as we're recording uh, i had about four different people including myself different women all apologize to our each other as we walked past each other and accidentally bumped into or like thought the other person was like we were cutting in line in front of them when we you know yeah, so maybe maybe I'm just more aware of it, um, or just more relieved to see anybody bringing it to uh, public attention. But uh, yeah, so I, I I definitely got a kick out of that. Pizza World Nights, uh, I could appreciate the joke of that one. I I wasn't laughing at that one so much as enjoying Bill Hader and the expressions at the very end. I thought were pretty good, but as a whole, I was less into that sketch, but. Um, the, the beer thing, because that was like the perfect length, nice and nice and short really worked for me. And also the, the talk show thing, I'm not a big Letterman guy that that was Letterman that he was doing, right? Yeah, more or less. So I was enjoying that as well as just a detail of, I love how her legs got progressively more gold throughout the sketch as she became more and more of an object. Mm hmm. Like, things like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are little performative details that I enjoy. But again, like, it was more about, like, appreciating little things than actually laughing. When, when I'm mm-hmm. taking the time to notice the details, it's probably because I'm not I'm not laughing enough. I will definitely agree with you about the uh, Amy Goes Deep segment, though. I thought that was really good, uh, really interesting. And I very much appreciated uh, her perspective and questions. I thought that, you know, both uh, Amy Schumer and the subject did a good job asking and responding to the questions and uh yeah i i enjoyed the one more than i have the other ones this season i think it helps that she had a subject that we actually don't hear a lot about Mm -hmm. like male prostitution slash male escorting is something you almost never hear about or when it is it's you know as part of some fantasy thing so it was interesting to hear some actual facts about it from someone who's doing it presumably unless it was fake which i don't think it was yeah i like when the amy goes deep segments don't just turn into a series of punchlines and it seemed like this one didn't as much so yeah i I would agree with that 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 was well done let's move on to louis sleepover and this is going to be covering louis for the rest of the season which i think we i'm planning currently to still do is going to be challenging after the discussion we had in our introduction introductory segment this week um for what it's worth this was not one of my favorite episodes anyway uh although it did have a a lot of like individual little things that i liked um uh just little little details that uh that i picked up on uh gradually like the fact that the fact of when we get um that sort of vintagey recreation of what supposedly happened to bobby he gets thrown in the caddy wagon and then there's there's a black guy who's just standing around who gets thrown in afterwards arbitrarily little details yeah. like that that i liked um and uh that the strange callback of afghanistan and um and tra- and you know the, the ridiculous names of the kids uh which balanced out the stuff that i didn't really like like the over the top cuteness of Louie running around with the kids and 
that running gag about the girl whose parents are getting a divorce, which was just like uncomfortably sitcom for Louie, I thought. Um, but the Pamela stuff was great, as per usual. And um, I mean, who do, you, do we think that voice was her ex-husband again or just some other dude? I'm not sure. I, I'm going to kind of default to some other dude, but maybe could be. That might be a, a thornier way to go. More interesting way to go. Um, I liked all the Sikami stuff that you didn't like. So I liked the, for the most part, the the girls being just terrible at the police station and um, how excited they were to go to the police station. Uh, I, the 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 thing with the friend and the divorcing parents or not divorcing parents. Um, I I enjoyed that too. It's yes, you're right. It's very Sikami. It's not very Louie-ish, but uh, I still ha- had fun with it. And things like, let's have a Sunday bar. I need notice for this. Uh, really worked for me. Also, the opening. Yeah, I appreciate that he gives uh, Lily like this much more depth than we were anticipating from her. And it's a discussion of different generations and how we process things. But shut your fucking phone off when pe- you're watching a play. <laughs> it's incredibly disrespectful. I don't care. Like, look, that's what intermission's for. That's what your program, you know, when you have a program and it has all these notes and you're sitting in the, your seat for like 20 minutes waiting for the show to start, that's when you read it. You don't do it when someone's <laughs> delivering a monologue. You don't do it in the middle of a performance. There's a live performer right there on the stage. Sorry. It's a it's a hot button issue for me. Uh, I was too distracted by the logistics of the opening to think about the the ethics of of her reading during the play like the fact that he got that ridiculous cast oh i know to come right? in for like for like five shots for a play that was written specifically for the episode or like the the those excerpts like i was sure it was a real thing that that cast had already been assembled for and he just sort of showed up and shots nope nope it was all written for the episode so that was truly impressive and i like that based that those first three minutes or so encompass basically all of the celebrity guest cameos we've had this season. And they weren't, they were like barely part of the episode. And I love that they just reveal one at a time, the way that he, he does it, where it's uh, first Matthew Broderick and then Glenn Close and then Lithgow and then uh, Michael Sarah, And uh, it's just, it's, it's like you said, I totally thought that was an actual thing. Uh, so I was, I thought I was particularly chuffed to find out that it was not. And, um, I also like the music I should mention this week. I was enjoying the kind of jazzy scoring. Um, but that's, that's what I got for this episode. I think I liked it more than you did, but, um, I wouldn't put it all time great. The, uh, the last thing that I did like about it was after all the cuteness of Louie and the kids running around, the second they're gone, him and Bobby's chat just gets so disgusting immediately. <laughs> and I, yep. I did like the, the contrast. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, let's move on to the HBO twofer of Silicon Valley and Veep. Silicon Valley's been on a roll this season, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's been a really strong season two for them. Uh, how did you feel about Homicide? Does it continue the trend? Or is it, you know, maybe um, just one of those middle installments that is kind of, you know, setting things up or, or, or filling time a little bit? Uh, it, it definitely d- did seem like kind of a one or two joke episode, but uh, I, I didn't particularly mind uh, the, the whole uh, notion of of swatting swatting the homicide uh, or the I, wait, the episode's called homicide, but it's really more like criminal negligence. Criminal negligence, yeah, letting someone else 
homicide themselves. Slight peeve there, but it was nice to see uh, Nanjiani and Star actually kind of on the same page for once and talking something over rather than just snarking on each other. Um, what was with the two HBO comedies having colostomy bag jokes? Beyond that, I mean, I, I didn't think it was the most substantial episode, but uh, I I was intrigued enough by the uh, by the cliffhanger of, of of them having their text stolen, and I I really don't know where they're going to go with that. And I imagine that's what we'll start to see because there's only you were already in episode six of the season, so there's only four episodes left. So if they spend the next episode or two with end frame, um, then you know we've already seen nucleus implode. So then it would be up to them to rise triumphant from the ashes by the finale if they are going to hold true to what has been the tone of the show so far. Um, so we'll see if how that goes or if they continue to allow themselves to be distracted and not actually get their tech ready in time. But uh, I, you know, I think there's so much to enjoy here. Like you say, it's a one or two joke episode. But if you like those one or two jokes then I think you like this episode. So the, the recurring um, joke about everybody wants the two women to just be best friends because they're both women. I thought that right, that yes. worked really well. And I, you know, this show has used Zach Woods so effectively this season in that kind of role as sort of like the, the PC minder. And I thought, you know, that, that was a nice little thing. And having both of the women just, you know, really, chafe at that expectation and the awkwardness of woods i thought it was a lot of fun and it, but it also didn't foreground this too much it was a, it was a there's a good amount of time the correct amount of time allotted to that and focusing in again on the richard and ehrlich dynamic which they've done quite a bit this season i thought was was very good and i like that they make double a a total asshole but they also make ehrlich still the worst i i think they did a good job of not having one side or the other come down to um, too saintly or otherwise. And the most fun of the episode, once again, is Guilfoyle and Dinesh. So the whole swatting thing with Blaine was hilarious. And uh, and watching that kind of come together, you know what's going to happen as soon as, as they introduce the, you know, the, the SWAT board. You know something like that's going to happen. And the, the way that they set it up and then executed, I thought was fantastic. So, yeah. We'll see how the next couple episodes come back, come together and, you know, bring the season to the finale. But I think, again, if you like the one or two jokes they're going for here, I think it's another really satisfying episode. And I'm really glad they've 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 been smart enough to limit financier guy to literally one scene an episode. Yes, this was the perfect amount of him this week. And you still have a strong sense of that character in that scene. But it's just a phone call. And that's all he you know, he facilitates the plot and that's all we need him for i'm sure that he will come again come back into prominence by the end of the season in a big way but uh for now that's just a sousson of asshole guy yeah uh well how about veep how's their guest star working for you right now we did you get the reveal or the 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 exploration of the lori character that we were hoping for this week uh no um, I'm not really sure why they needed Laurie for this. It kind of seems like any... They really don't. Uh, <laughs> any reasonably handsome or charismatic, um, nearing middle-aged or middle-aged guy would have done fine. 
uh, I, I'm, I'm not really seeing them using his uh, his gifts a whole lot so far. They're not using his comedic gifts at all, uh, though he's good in this. But I think what they are using is his star power and the fact that we know him and we like him. So if you had a, an actor who was unknown to us playing this character, I think it would be a complete dud. I think it wouldn't work at all. And we would... Uh, we just be like, this guy, why are we spending, this guy's boring, he's not interesting. But because we're invested in Hugh Laurie as a comedic presence, um, and maybe they're just thinking more of the the standard American's relationship with Hugh Laurie, as in from House, rather than, you know, us, those of us who know him as a very funny comedic actor from his, you know, long history of, of British comedic performances. But this, it, it's so frustrating to watch because... I can see what they're doing, the way that they're trading in on his star power and his uh, our awareness of him. And I can see that he's doing a good job, but it just seems like such a waste. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, it's it, it's it's an OK episode. I'm enjoying the uh, the Amy and Dan uh, situation. I guess it's still still fluid, but mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I, I'm 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 very confused as to sort of how they'll continue to be a part of the show by like the end of the season unless they form an outright adversarial relationship against selena and that's like solidified which would be great um but for now it's a little bit more free-flowing than that mm -hmm. the i really enjoyed amy screaming in this episode yes yeah and i've seen some comments who are a little frustrated by that depiction of like oh of course the woman is all like can't handle her anger and she's like hysterical and acting crazy the, it's, it's this crazy woman trope that we see that's very gendered and very frustrating however i also have had that experience not this is a specific experience of course but being so angry you can't really process it or you know i've had that a, like once or twice in my life where there's just there's too many feels and there's too much frustration and you haven't processed it yet and then you just find a pillow to scream into and all of a sudden or you don't and you're just really loud <laughs> everything feels quite a bit better because you've had all this emotion that you can't express and then it just is out have you had that experience have you done a barbaric uh, yawp to the heavens, sir? Um, I've certainly experienced that screaming is fun and and a good activity that everyone should uh, should participate in from time to time to let to let out. Uh, I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, it's good in terms of yes, letting out emotions. Also, just fun. Like, people <laughs> should people should have spaces to scream in more. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't. I, I I can see both sides there, but I didn't have a problem with it. I also really liked. Um, some of the what we get with the the body language with uh, Louis Dreyfus and and Laurie, I like when when they're talking in the car, reminiscing. She's like leaning in further and further towards him, and he's just like straight up. He's like, "Yes, shoes. There were shoes." <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know why Selena at this point thinks that she can do anything without Gary. Shouldn't she know better than that? by now haven't we seen her learn that over the course of the show but the material we get here from her is so fun that i kind of was willing to go with it uh yeah i didn't have a problem with that at all i mean i i guess my thing is i i'm still just so underwhelmed by james as a character after all this build-up that i'm i'm waiting for something to happen that'll be worthy of of all the fanfare and it yeah. certainly doesn't happen this week yeah i absolutely see what you're saying um the last thing i'll say here aside from of course you can read my full thoughts at the av club my reviews up there uh the last thing i'll say is we gotta just mention 
um, Jonah and Richard, which have been such a reliable duo this episode. I really love what they do with Jonah and the other the other victims. And then just his line about, I feel like I just got felt up again, but by the law, I thought was such a f- <laughs> fantastic... And, and, you know, what are we doing? Oh, you're processing the emotional fallout of... It was so veep, and it was so... It was, like, so personal and dark and honest, immediately undercut by a joke. I thought it worked so well. Um, th- those two have just been one of the real standouts of this season. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that plot line when it first started, but I think they've they've handled it qu- quite gracefully. Absolutely. Uh, so what was your week in comedy this week, Simon? Good question. You go first, and I'll see if I agree with you. Um, I think I, I liked Amy Schumer a lot more than you did. Uh, but, I mean, and and Silicon Valley is in contention. But, I mean, just, come on. It's the Jane the Virgin Award. It's the last opportunity. Oh, yeah, right. The Jane the Virgin right. Award goes to Jane the Virgin. We'll talk about it at the end uh, in our segment. Yes, I'd forgotten that was an option. Goodbye, Jane the Virgin Award. We will miss you. To be continued this fall. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. The Dornishman's blade, it was made of black steel, and its kiss was a terrible thing. The Dornishman's wife would sing as she bathed, in a voice that was sweet as All a right, peach. This week in genre and drama, I'm going to talk a little bit about the elementary finale, A Controlled Descent, the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, S.O.S., a two-part finale there, the Arrow finale, My Name is Oliver Queen, um, as well as, well, I'll have a little flash talk mixed in there, but mostly that'll be about the Arrow finale. Uh, then we'll both talk about Game of Thrones, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Then we'll do Orphan Black, Scarred by Many Past Frustrations, Outlander, Wentworth Prison, and we'll round things out with another crazy, penny dreadful, The Nightcomers. Uh, so first up, uh, well, we wanted to mention here, we don't have screeners of it, but Between is the new pilot uh, that's going to be debuting on Netflix this coming week. Um, so we won't can't preview for it, but this, what's interesting about this one is that it's going to be airing one episode a week. They're going to be releasing one episode each week for six weeks, which is a completely new thing for Netflix. Do you have any thoughts on this, Simon? Uh, I'll be curious to see if there's something about it that merits that release, or if it's just like a one-off experimental type deal to see, how, or if it's if it's such a low-stake series that they don't really care about, that they'll just, let's try it. You're going to be the guinea pig series. Yeah. Why? Because we didn't want to do it with Orange is the New Black. We're doing it with you. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll check in with that next week. But for now, uh, I, I did check in. I have been watching Elementary all season, and this finale I thought really worked very well. I liked the way they incorporated some of the previous characters, recurring characters or guest characters. I liked Michael Weston's performance in this. I was glad to see Alfonso uh, brought in in a, such a significant way. And if they were going to have... Uh, Sherlock uh, relapse. This was a very powerful way to do it. And I like that. I, I really appreciated the way that that was played in, in the episode. And uh, yeah, and that there, there's so little resolution. We don't know what happened. Technically we didn't see him shoot up, but it seems pretty clear that he did. Um, and the way that, you know, we go to, you know, how much does Joan know? I'm guessing everything because, you know, she's Joan. Um, and then this the specter of Sherlock's father coming in and what that could mean. I mean, I think it's all very, it sets him up with a lot of meaty material to dive into next season. The performances throughout the finale were, were very strong. 
and uh, the themes that they were addressing or the, the, this, you know, what, who is Sherlock? What is his identity? How much of him is defined by his, his addiction? Um, I thought it was, it was very well done. And I'm very excited to see what they do next season. This is a much, much better way to do this kind of a season cliffhanger than what they did last season, where they had him take the, the packet of heroin and put it in, in a book, uh, in the bookshelf. So this is a much, much better way to do it. And I look forward to seeing what happens next season now. Do you have any thoughts? Are you surprised by hearing that they that Elementary went there? Uh, not particularly, but then I also haven't been following Elementary for a very long time. Fair enough. I, I, I didn't know that I, ex- I don't know that I expected them to do, to do this on a CBS procedural with their main character, but it makes sense. I'm glad that they did. Um, and we'll see what comes next. But for now, on to the genre finales. We had S.O.S. SOS. Um, and I thought they did a really good job of, t- of turning um, Sky's parents, uh, pivoting the two of them into uh, different, you know, more the more villainous and the more heroic role. I like the resolution they give the Kyle MacLachlan character. He's been super fun on the show, but not always. He hasn't always fit or made sense. And so the way that they sort of retcon him a little bit in this finale worked for me. Um, as for uh, Jaying, I'm going to miss Dejan Lockman. Um, I, I would assume she'll be back. The character is basically mortal, so um, kind of hard to kill that kind of a character. But uh, I like the way that they that they did that climax. Whenever you have one character, like, sucking the life out of another character where you just like it's one person with their hands on another person and that's supposed to be the big climactic moment that's really hard to sell that but between their their uh the camera work and the editing and the scoring and the performance of the two actors they actually really did make that work and i was impressed with them um i liked the the tease of what could come next season with the crystals and the fish oil and everything. I know not everybody liked that, but I, I did. And I also like the way that they brought the team together. Uh, Adrian Palicki kicking all of the ass. Always good. So glad they brought her on the show. And, uh, and then having, you know, the way that they, they kind of pulled these threads together in, um, in the finale did work for me quite a bit. Um, we'll see. I'm not very keen on some of the developments of the second half of the season and, you know, everything that went down with Gonzalez before they killed him. Um, and that other faction of shield, I'm much less interested in them. I like the notion of them as being the small a team kind of group, but that, you know, chapter of the show is over now. So we'll just see what they can come up with over the, over the break. But I did have quite a bit of fun with this finale and I have enjoyed the sort of like, can't be lighter fun of shield over the course of this season. Uh, is there anything that'll get you to check in to shield uh, next season? Is there any like casting that could bring you back? Cause clearly Palicki didn't do it. No, I mean, I just dipped into the MCU one more time to go see Ultron, which I was deeply nonplussed by. So I don't think that's going to, I think, I think my, my general indifference, general indifference will, uh, will extend towards shield pretty much indefinitely now what if now that ultron's all done what if uh joss whedon gets more involved in the tv show would that prompt you to check out if like if he, if he directs a couple episodes this next season i don't think that's going to happen I, w- I would be very surprised if that happened but even then i mean he did he did the pilot and i wasn't that taken with that either so and i also wasn't that taken with ultron which he wrote and directed so fair enough then again that seemed to be compromised but anyway whoop whoop <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Well, uh, let me check in here briefly with the Arrow finale. My name is Oliver Queen, and I filled in at the AV Club with this one again, so you can read my full, full thoughts there. Um, but this, I mean, what a sloppy season this has been. I did think it was on the whole, like, Arrow does action well, and they when they, they have this, like, across the city, multiple threats, editing, cutting back and forth and all that, they, they're good at that at Arrow, and they do a good job with their momentum and their pacing and their energy throughout this finale to really make it an entertaining hour of television. However, the instant you start to think about anything, it doesn't make any sense and it falls apart, and... There are some character beats in there that are really frustrating. Why is Nissa kneeling before the new race um, when she could just be hanging out with Laurel and having milkshakes with fries? Because I think that's what all of us who watch Arrow want to be happening right then. Um, that being said, I really, really love uh, the way this season has developed and made more, uh, given more agency to Thea and Laurel. The things that went down this season, basically the death of Sarah was horribly mismanaged. You can't do something that significant and then have there be no long-term like consequences, emotional consequences. Somebody was brainwashed into kill. Okay. So Simon, I know you don't watch arrow. Say that your, your person you found out was your biological dad. Say you want to build up a relationship with them. And so you go off and they're going to train you to fight because this is arrow. And then you find out that they drugged you and mind controlled you into killing one of your friends. Do you think you would ever, ever, ever be okay with them again? Uh, that's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless they had an exceptionally fantastic reason, uh, I would have to say no. Yeah, bad guys were out to get me as your dad and uh and and so i didn't want them to so i manipulated you into killing one of your friends who was one of the people coming to get me because she wouldn't see it coming and then your brother would have to take the bullet for me to save your life that's literally what happened this season on arrow at the end of the season they have thea uh, saying like I'll never trust you, but you did say you would make you would make me stronger, and you did that. Smile. No, 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 no. That is not allowed to happen. Like, <laughs> like this number of things like, like that that go on this season. They, they they just love a couple of these characters too much to give them any long term consequences, and that's also true of Ollie and Diggs' relationship. It should be completely destroyed forever because of things that are, that Oliver did, and the show's not willing to commit to that because they like characters too much. But if you're not willing to commit to that, then don't have characters do things like, you know, kidnap your best friend's wife and hold her hostage and leave your their, their infant child alone in the house where anything could happen. Anyways, on the whole, an entertaining hour, but the all the, the issues with the season really brought it down. And um, I'm just glad that they're out of the season and now they can hopefully regroup at the end of, uh, like, over the hiatus and come back stronger next year. So that's where I'm at with Arrow. Well, let's let's transition here from, you know... The comparatively light subject matter of Sherlock's uh, decision in elementary uh, and the absolutely very light content of S.H.I.E.L.D., Arrow, and The Flash to a little darker content here on Game of Thrones this week. We're going to try not to go into this too much. I'm just going to stay out of it because I already had to talk about this on the Game of Thrones podcast, which should be out in your feed. And um, that was about an hour of processing and dealing with this episode of Game of Thrones. But... Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Uh, Simon, what yes. did you think? Um, the funny thing is there's actually a lot of good stuff in this episode mm-hmm. that uh, I 
basically completely forgot about when we got to the final scene, which uh, I'm sure you, you spent most of the other podcast talking about. Um, I don't know why we're doing this again. Why are we doing this again? Why did... Uh, if there's ever going to be a point in the show, which I assume there must be, where Reek becomes the unproperly again and is deprogrammed and takes his revenge on Ramsey or something or has some kind of redemptive moment. That was, that was the time. That was when you do it. Why would you wait longer than that? Just, uh, anyway, that's my main takeaway. Um, the, uh, the fight was fun with, with Jamie and, and people. That was fun. Um, Tyrion yeah. and the slavers. That's, that was funny. I laughed out loud. Yes. Tyrion and the slavers was funny. Um, but yeah, it was just, I, I really had difficulty remembering the rest of the episode after we got to the ending, to be honest. Yeah. When you get to that last scene, it just, the rest of the episode all of a sudden doesn't matter because how can you not focus on that? And, um, like you're saying, if, if the purpose is to prompt Theon, Reek to become Theon again, that's the moment. Or, you know, how about you don't have one of the main characters get raped so that a man can have his journey developed? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But we talk... It's just very frustrating. And it's so hard. This is a perfect example of an episode that... Or a scene that is incredibly difficult to have any coherent thoughts about because we don't have the context of what's going to come next. And the trouble is, I don't trust the showrunners with this kind of kind of content. I trust them with a lot of things. I do not trust them with this type of content. And so normally I'd be saying, let's wait and see what they do with it. But in the past, all that fallout that we saw, all that exploration of, you know, Cersei or when Brienne was almost raped or just, they do not have a good track record on Game of Thrones. Can I just say my, my, like I, I, we, I, you know, you've got a whole other podcast about this, so we should wrap it up. But my favorite quasi defense of game of thrones whenever this happens is always but it's set in a sort of medieval times and there was lots of raping in medieval times and uh so it would be it would be uh unrealistic if they didn't have lots of raping in it i'm like guys this is a show with dragons and shadow babies in it like can we not <laughs> can we not be constantly raping people uh or at least if we're gonna do it can we have it be um impactful in in ways that are appropriate to the characters yeah yep we talk about all this on the podcast the game of okay, podcast yeah. so we're gonna pause it there and and move on to our next show which is orphan black and let's cleanse the palette a little bit because scarred by many past frustrations my review is up at sound on site this is definitely the best episode of the season no comparison not even close I feel like Orphan Black is back, and I also feel like it's probably going to go away next week, and I don't want it to. So I'm just holding on to this episode <laughs> as the shiny example of how good this show can be when it cares about character and not labyrinthine plots. Remember how last week I was hoping we would just have time where Kasima gets to do stuff and it's not part of a plot? We actually got that this week. Yay! And uh, I liked all the stuff with, with, uh, with, is it Gracie? I actually um, care about Gracie now. I didn't think that was possible, but just throw her in a dance party with Felix and, and Mrs. S and let, let her and Mrs. S bond a little bit. And all of a sudden she's a character. It's amazing how that works. 
and actually, it it didn't even occur to me until later, but it's also the first time in a very long time they've let Mrs. S be a person also. Yes. Absolutely. So that was great. Yeah, and they bring incorporate art here. Like what I talk about in my review is that this episode takes all like almost every corner of this show that we see this week. So basically every corner of the show that isn't Allison, Allison. and Donnie and Rachel and Delphine gets brought together here. Cause Cosima is tied in with what's going on because she's gonna be working on the cure. So so that that ties in with the, this disease amongst the casters that has now been spread to Gracie um, to some extent, as well as to Patty. She has a name, uh, Seth and Rudy's victim from before. Art is brought in through Gracie, which I thought was a really smart move and really worked, as well as through Patty. So now he has direct connection to everything that's going on. And Gracie, instead of just being random victimized cult girl who then goes back to her creepy cult parents and then all these can't decide because the plot needs her to do a bunch of things um, is directly tied to, to Felix and Mrs. S and uh, they feel human again. Cause we're meeting the Mrs. S that decided to take in foster kids to start with. Like everybody is human. Everyone is a character and all these other corners of the show that have been completely disparate and, and not interesting and not tied together and distracting all of a sudden cohere and make a lot of sense. This happens in episode five out of 10 or maybe 13 for this season. And that is ridiculous. 10 should have happened much, much earlier. Yeah. It's halfway through the season. However, at least it finally did. And the other thing that I have to give this episode credit to is every time we get Helena and Sarah stuff, it's great. And once again, this week here with the two of them, it's great. Uh, yes. And the, their, uh, the escape sequence is actually tense. Super tense. Exciting. Yeah. And things the show hasn't been in a long time, or at least all this season. Uh, so yeah, that was great. Um, and it felt like it was the sort of the sort of like lo-fi, uh, high inventiveness sort of sequence that we haven't seen them do in a long time. Um, even if parts of it felt a little bit too much like a game of Metal Gear, um, st- still a lot of fun. And uh, I, I would have never thought that one of my favorite devices of the season would be the talking scorpion. Oh, it's MVP of the season. <laughs> so much is it is it Maslani's voice or yeah. is it someone else's okay it's Maslani. yeah and, and and i was noticing this last week and this week too i love that there's like no mouth we don't like see it trying to talk we just see the scorpion and it moves a little bit so it's, it's so great because it allows uh an externalization of uh helena's thought process and where she's at and the fact that you know she forgave sarah for killing her at the start of season two, but there's only so much you can do before she's going to say, ah, screw you. So when we have that arc over the course of the episode with Helena deciding if she's going to, you know, help Sarah and, and allow Sarah to escape or if she's going to abandon her by the end of the episode, I was very invested in that. And yes, she's probably going to go back and save her, but having her choose to abandon Sarah in that moment, even if she's going to go back and save her later, felt very true to the character very honest and it's just yeah it's been great yeah was it just me or was there a was there a mention this week of like a of like a mega villain we haven't met yet oh god i hope not <laughs> because it seems like uh what's her name military lady mother um mother uh has a superior yeah or at least had like had a reference to like oh man 
Yeah. I really hope it's someone we already know. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> um, but still, it's so much better than the other episodes this season. It just doesn't even yeah. compare. And yeah. how how sad is it that the, the Allison part of the show is by far the weakest point of the show right now? Yeah. This episode almost makes you care about Paul. Not quite. But it works on because it. It's really close. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay, let's move on to Outlander, Wentworth Prison, because this is another this is another rapey episode, but this is a much more affecting one. I thought it was another very like comparing this week's episode with last week's episode, there was just again, no comparison. This is far more involving, much better performances, and much more um much more interesting to me. I know you're pretty much past the level of no return with randall how did uh how did this episode work for you was that did that put it over the edge could you like not connect with it because of that um i mean i just don't really know what the point is at this like we've already seen basically all these beats before with blackjack and his uh and his you know the way he enjoys dominating people and uh, his feelings of power and sexuality and blah blah blah. Like we've, this is there's nothing new in this episode. It's just sort of a, a more elaborate, lengthier uh, set piece involving that, which is fine. I get like it's I've got no qualms with the execution, um, but I don't know. I don't really know how it broadens our understanding of any of the characters to see uh, to see him go through this again. Oh, and no, we know doesn't. he's yeah yeah so what was it for to give them something to do this is very much an adventure <laughs> show i mean honestly that's what it is they get captured and they have to escape from stuff and there's you know i i that's what so much of the show has been and i it's i think i feel like it's unapologetic about that it's like we're going to be an escapist romance action adventure kind of show um and so Characters get put in peril, and then they get rescued, and then and bad things happen along the way. And the extent to which the bad things happen is the question, because you know Jamie's not going to die, you know Claire's not going to die, but that doesn't mean a lot of bad shit isn't going to go down. Um, and if they manage to make it um, engaging and to get you to forget that you already know how it's going to turn out in the end, um, then they've done their job. No, like I understand all that. It's just it Outlander is so strange to me because it it, it combines. Um, you know, like you said, a very escapist feel with uh, with material that is not suitable for an escapist <laughs> for an escapist fantasy at all, uh, which is sort of interesting and also sort of uh, sort of frustrating for me in the sense of like, a- a- as I said, watching the episode, it's it's riveting, uh, but I'm not sure why I'm watching it. Yeah, I think it just depend- comes down to if you are invested in the characters or not, if you just want to see stories with these people. Um, and I can understand if you don't. I can understand if you like the characters so you don't want to see the kind of stuff that goes down in this episode. Absolutely, I understand that. Um, I think it also functions as sort of a counter to what we saw in the first half of the season, so frequently with Claire, to make Jamie the victim and to make Jamie the one in need of rescue instead of instead of Claire, as she so frequently was in the first part of the, of the season. Um that i don't know i absolutely understand anyone who says that's not a good enough reason to have a character get get raped um here it's off screen which how about that game of thrones um well let's maybe wait till next week to, that's to true that verdict that is true that's a very smart point um but this see because i think comparing the ramsey scenes 
in Game of Thrones with the blackjack scenes here, it really puts into stark relief what these shows do well and what they don't. And so I feel like I understand Jack. I feel like this is exploring him. I feel like it's it's exploring um, Jamie and how, you know, how, how, what do you do when faced with this situation? And when put in an impossible, you know, what, how, you know, when you've done everything that you can do, you know, or like what, what drive, I feel like I understand what drives um, Jack Randall and the show does too, much more than somebody like Ramsey when they should be very similar characters. How do you, how would you compare the treatment of those two characters on those shows? Um, I mean, I think you're right in the sense that we, uh, I, I could tell you a whole lot more about Blackjack than I could Ramsey, if only because Ramsey sadistic there you go that's ramsey that's mm-hmm. that's it that's all that's all you need uh whereas clearly uh in menzi's performance and in the writing of the character there is uh there is a fully developed psycho uh going on in there which is uh which, like, like i said like in terms of uh comparing certainly contrasting those two uh there's certainly no comparison in terms of the level of craft uh, going on mostly it, it makes the game of thrones scene feel really tossed off in a way that is unflattering um that being said uh i don't know that i needed to spend most of a full hour of television uh in that dungeon yeah um the the sense of pacing in outlander has always struck me as bizarre like months can seem to go by in the space of an episode major plot developments and then other weeks we're still in this fucking dungeon yeah and and again to compare game of thrones and and Outlander, it you know, they have opposite issues maybe then because on Game of Thrones on, on Outlander I a hundred percent trust that whatever happens on screen and off here will affect the rest of the series will affect Jamie and will be a major driving force of who that character is for the rest of the show and not at all is that <laughs> what what seems like it's going to happen on Game of Thrones I don't trust those showrunners about that even a little bit. And so that's what, that's what takes a scene like what we get in game of Thrones and makes it feel exploitative and infuriating. And like, I understand people who want to stop watching the show after that versus this, this full episode of outlander, uh, where I think I, I understand if, if you don't need to see, you don't need this in your life, but I was, I'm not seeing people saying this is bullshit this is not, you know, you don't treat characters this way because there's this understanding that what the events that actually happen to these characters shape them. They just aren't thrown off as a plot point. Yeah, that's totally fair. Anyways, let's let's move on to our last episode, Penny Dreadful, which uh, the Nightcomers, which was it's episode three of the season, but it's a full flashback episode. And uh, I don't care because Patty Lapone, dude, dude, so good. I, How did I not know that she was going to be on this season? I didn't even recognize her, man. Um, yeah, she's she gets so much more to do in this one episode than she got in that entire season of American Horror Story she was supposed to be in. Yeah, uh, doesn't compare. Yeah, even a little. She's amazing, and uh, the the episode is really strong. And um, I mean, it's. It's basically an entire episode of Eva Green and Patty Lapone kicking it, which is fine. Totally cool by me. Um, I I feel uh, I didn't know that I needed uh, more Eva Green backstory until I got it, 
and uh, sort of getting a sense of of uh, how her understanding of her situation evolved and getting um, getting more time with uh, the Helen McCrory character and just seeing how uh, horrible and nasty she can really be. Uh, I think that gives us a better sense of uh, the the villainous topography for the season, if that makes any sense. That 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 I, I think that's going to really help uh, propel the rest of the season, which was maybe an, an issue for me, certainly in the premiere anyway. And I don't think it's just this, but first of all, you, you already said it. Let's bow down to Patty Lapone because she is amazing in this episode. She's so good. Um, I really like and respect uh, Timothy Dalton and uh, the, you know, the, the I've really come to appreciate the actor who plays uh, Dr. Frankenstein in his non-Caliban scenes on the show. And, um, and I was talking about last week how Josh Hartnett has been such a surprise for me on the show. Um, but put Eva Green with her raspy, gravelly voice next to Patty Lapone, and all of a sudden I care about that character. I'm invested in that character, and that performance is something that isn't tiresome to me. Put her next to all these other people in the show, and she dominates it and is boring. She needs a counterpoint. She needs an equal counterpoint on this show. And I'm not saying those actors aren't as good as her. I'm saying the writing is not interested in the other people anywhere near as much as it is in Vanessa and that character. And so it, I, I feel like those writers, I feel like the, the characters and the actors are sort of just abandoned because the show has decided it's the Eva Green show and everybody else should just mm-hmm. circle around her and not have their own agency and their own stories. And then you, you bring this the, the cut wife, this Patty LuPone character, and she's someone who has existed and has all of this world of story within her character that you get hinted at and you get some in, back, in, you know, in uh, exposition. But... She's a fully developed, rounded character. And yes, she's intrinsically tied to Vanessa, but she is also her own unique entity. Whereas every other character in the main storyline, the main timeline of Penny Dreadful, Dreadful, they used to be characters in season one, but at this point they pretty much feel like they've been contrived to facilitate Vanessa's, you know, growling at stuff. Yeah. they. I mean, the the, the problem with the stuff that's happening in the, in the present is that Either they're part of uh, the Eva Green Scooby Gang, or they're off doing stuff that's worse, like Caliban. Uh, so, uh, hopefully, this episode will help them refocus on the show's strengths. It's weird that the episode that still features an attempted rape and an awful illicit abortion uh, feels like light viewing for this next, week. <laughs> next to the other stuff this week. Yeah, well, that's because you're not watching Shield and Arrow and Flash. I mean, come on, that's true. You could be watching Flash and watching, you know, Arrow and Firestorm and Flash, like getting a three-way battle royale with Harrison Wells. I mean, come on, there is light TV out there. No, that's true. Um, I, 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 I just, I was just amused at how much uh, more fun. Penny Dreadful was to watch this week than Game of Thrones or uh, or Outlander if you wanted to extend it. If, mm-hmm. I mean, Outlander's still less genre-y than the other genre shows, but I think it still counts. Um, even though, in theory, the material was quite dark. Anyway, I was impressed at how invested I felt in the uh, in the cut-wife Eva Green relationship, uh, despite the fact that it was clearly not going to extend past this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, on that thread, what... It, if this is how people like friend of the show Ryan McGee and Mo Ryan feel about the show all the time, I understand why they love the show then. Because 
I really enjoyed this episode and I wish the other episodes were as good as this one because it's, for me, it just doesn't compare at all the kind of writing and development and characterization we got in this episode uh, to what they're normally doing. So uh, it's nice to get a glimpse at because you read the other reviews um, by critics you respect and uh, who you know, they obviously they know what they're talking about. They're very smart people. Um, and you and, like, and you just eh. don't see it. You're like, I we watch different shows. So it's really great to get a glimpse at what Penny Dreadful is capable of. And I would really love it if they would sustain that over the rest of the season. I don't know if it'll happen. It's not going to happen. But we can enjoy it while it lasts. Absolutely. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama, Simon? Huh. Not are we counting Mad Men? We haven't talked about that Mad yet. Mad Men is its own um, thing. It's being spotlit, so it doesn't count. Doesn't I love your rules. Um in which case I will give it I'm gonna give it to Penny Dreadful. Screw it. Okay, yeah. And and maybe it's because it's what I watched most recently, but I'm going to give it to Penny Dreadful, too. I mean, props to Orphan Black for showing up this week, because it was yes. a serious contender, but uh, and, and even Outlander, but I, I got, I'm going to give it to Penny Dreadful. That feels, feels nice. Okay, now we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with our spotlight on the Mad Men finale, Person to Person. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me. That was obviously the the famous Coke ad that ended Mad Men this week. Uh, I mean, how could I use any other music to lead into this segment? Any other jingle? Um, this week, we're reviving the spotlight section for the first time in literally we don't remember. So let us know, <laughs> listeners. We cannot remember the last spotlight we had, but we have to. It's the Mad Men finale, um, person to person. And shall we start or end with the end of the episode? Let's, uh, let's start there. Let's, let's start, start there. there. Okay. So I was watching this finale with, with my, my dad and my sister, and they haven't seen all the show, but, you know, they've seen a smattering here and there. My dad has seen most of it. Um, and it was hilarious to me because when it finished, we both just started laughing at the end, uh, at the very end of it, when, when they cut to, cut to the credits. Because for me, because I was like, ah, the internet is going to be fun tomorrow. Uh, and my dad, because he's like, ah, see, because Don did the ad. Don made the Coke ad, they're saying. And I was like, oh, that's not what they're saying at all. That's like ridiculous. Of course he didn't. So uh, to come online after, you know, and, and check out Twitter and other reviews and see that apparently I'm the only person who thinks that that ending doesn't mean that Don did the Coke ad. Um is fascinating to me and I love it. What did you think of that? Like, first, let's start with the base basic. Do you interpret that ending as in that moment Don comes up with, or eventually Don Don envis, envisions that envisions that Coke ad and 
has great success because of it. Yes. Okay. See, this is fascinating to me. <laughs> can I can I list some evidence for you? Well, there's plenty of evidence. There's lots of evidence. There's like Sopranos finale level of evidence, and I look forward no, to the there's, dissertations. No, there's way more than Sopranos. Okay. Like, the Sopranos stuff is submerged. This stuff is not at all submerged. I mean, unless you want to consider the stuff like the girl who works at the desk looks exactly like the girl who's in the commercial. That's a little bit submerged. Uh, but, I mean, Peggy makes clear that he's perfectly fine to come back whenever he wants and even brings up, don't you want to work on coke? Um, Don, I mean, we, we, the way that, uh, in theory, Don folds this experience into just another ad is perfectly in keeping with a dozen other pitches he's done, not recently necessarily, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's totally in keeping with his character to, to have these supposedly earth shattering moments and then to, uh, either fold or attempt to fold in the case of when he tried to bring up his past and then it went horribly, horribly wrong. With the Hershey, uh, yeah. Them into uh, some consumerist twaddle. I mean, that's his job. Uh, so I don't see any reason to think that he didn't do it. I, on the other hand, if you think that he didn't do it, I don't think it changes the basic, uh, the basic dynamic, which is uh, ultimately... These uh, these are the narratives that are going to be packaged and sold back to you, whether or not it's Don Draper doing it or some other guy. It's still kind of the same uh, defeatist message, if you want to look at it that way. See, this is what I love about interesting television, because to me, it does not matter if Don did the coke ad. Cause, and again, obviously, there's this meta level of, Matthew Weiner wanted the show to end this way, so he crafted this episode to include all these things that are in the Coke ad. But I also, you know, so so for me, that ending feels as much inspired by the Coke ad as this. That's what inspires Don to do the Coke ad, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So, uh, it, it, for me, it was just this parallel of here's Donnie's finally working on himself and reaching some level of happiness and acceptance with himself and ability to see. The world and to come to this new understanding but it's also the same you know it, it look where he's at it's it's a bunch of bullshit but it's also working for him so I, I i see it as a parallel like don's in this place where he he's in this i mean it's, i think it's it, to me it feels totally phony this 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 retreat that you know you pay by the week and it's a bunch of people uh you know who are 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 some of it so the stuff they're saying is very helpful some of it feels like platitudes um depending it just pretends it depends on your perspective but he is able to find meaning in that and then you directly compare that to this coke thing that's like yeah it's just it's intended to sell you coke but it doesn't mean that its message isn't true it doesn't mean that it's not coming from a, a place of 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 good in, of good larger intentions, or that you can't take positive messages out of something that is originally intended as a way to make money. This retreat is a way for the people involved to make money, but it's also able to help Don, and I see that as a direct parallel. So so maybe Don does come up with the idea of and do the coke thing, but maybe he doesn't. And if he doesn't, or, or and if he does, that doesn't negate anything that he's experiencing or anything that he's you know taking out of that. It doesn't mean that oh. All he takes away from this is he gets an idea for an ad, so he goes back to New York and is just the same cynical, broken person he always has been because he can't learn anything 
from this experience he's had. And that's that I'm not saying that's what you think, but I've been seeing that pop up all over the place in people's reactions. Oh, see, he does this experience. He has goes through all of this stuff and he's learned nothing. And he's still the guy who's just always looking for a pitch. He's not actually touching any true emotion. And that's the difference I see. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm the optimist. You're the realist. Um, but that's what I see in it. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I think we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a boring answer. Uh, but the uh, Weiner deliberately leaves us in the lurch as to whether or not um, Don is uh, is is a new man or not. Although there's certainly a lot to suggest that he isn't. I mean, we've we've seen him apparently um, evolve a lot, actually, over especially over the last couple of seasons. Uh, there was certainly a, a long period of stasis in the middle of the show, let's say, and. Um, I love uh I I encountered Mo Ryan calling calling early early Mad Men Don Draper sex Batman and um <laughs> yeah I think that he he's certainly evolved beyond well beyond just being sex Batman but um I mean ultimately it's it's sort of a personal thing like do you see it as uh like what are your thoughts on the advertising industry do you think that it's uh it's necessarily a soul-sucking void filled with uh walking human garbage or do you see it as just another job and uh, just something that people do uh and something that they, that they can do while still being substantive humans uh who contribute to society uh if you if you take the former view then uh the ending is necessarily a pessimistic one uh, because don was not able to escape then again um, characters who don't even attempt to escape seem to do just fine. I mean, we, should we get to Peggy and Stan? Do you want to wait for that? Or <laughs> well, let's, what do you want to do with that? Part of what's shaping my view of that ending is how almost sappy. It's super sentimental. This whole finale is. I, more than most of the finales I've seen, uh, series finales I've seen recently, in recent, in the past, I don't know, five, ten years, I have every confidence that Every character we see just goes on and lives their life and has a normal, mostly happy, mostly healthy life. Uh, I, I feel like they're all going to be fine and they all still exist and they have plenty of adventures after this this finale. Um, this this episode leaves them, almost all of them, in a really positive place. So we have Harry is still Harry. Pete goes off with Trudy looking fine, by the way, looking damn good on that plane. Uh, we have Joan who, who who takes her own second name to to form her company, and it doesn't define herself by by some relationship with some guy who can't appreciate her for all the aspects of her personality, and instead, you know, stays true to what she has discovered about herself, which is that she is passionate about work and about creating. Um, and 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 then we and we get that lovely final scene with Roger and Joan, and then Roger marries his age appropriate girlfriend, and has a <laughs> wonderful final you know final last scene in there eating lobster and champagne. I mean, everybody in this episode. I mean, Peggy and Stan, obviously, we'll talk about that too. But everybody in this episode who can gets a happy ending. Even like Sally's at home helping out her dying mother. Yes, but she takes after her mother and not after her father. She doesn't flee off to Madrid like Don does when, when some, when, you know, when he gets overloaded, he runs, right? That's something he's always done. 
she stays, she comes home, she helps her brothers. She, you know that those brothers, Jean and Bobby, are going to be fine, as as fine as they possibly can be when they lose their mother at that age, because Sally's there, and Sally's going to make it pretty much okay, as as okay as any person can. They're going to be as fine as they possibly can be, considering they uh, find themselves arbitrarily reconstituted as different people every few months. <laughs> yeah, touche. Uh, so, so that really does shape my view of that finale, because I, I think I don't think you have such a positive, optimistic conclusion for all of these characters i mean and and i was reading mo's review i read a, a handful of reviews um and she sees that ending for joan as a as a sad or a pessimistic one i see it as a triumphant one personally um compared compared to her leaving you know like retiring and just doing nothing with her life um besides spending it with her new her new guy um so i i, I just don't see all of these optimistic and and hopeful endings for these characters. And then the last stinger of the episode is a pessimistic one. I just, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm an optimist. Like we've said, <laughs> how do you see the Joan stuff? We'll we'll get to Peggy and Stan. How do you see the Joan stuff? The Joan stuff was fine. I, I didn't see her, uh, riding off into the sunset with Bruce Greenwood. Um, I never really got to like his character. So it was fine that he turned out to be, uh, kind of the dick we thought he was, or at least, not a Joan appropriate match. Um, just despite uh, whatever, despite the fact that he was certainly better than her. I, I I love the the line she got in about her horrible, horrible ex. No, he's um, oh he knows that no he's just terrible. He's just terrible. Just, a, just a horrible person. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean you could hear uh, when when she when she proposes uh, Olson Harris. I'm sure you could hear the squeeze. Yeah. The world over. Yeah. Um, and I was glad it didn't actually happen. I, I There were some timing issues in the finale. Like, for instance, uh, we get that scene of, of, of her thinking of uh, thinking of Peggy and wanting to uh, save the partnership only for her. Mm. Um, that didn't feel uh, that felt kind of out of nowhere for me, considering where we I'm left not them. Even sure, yeah. The last time they had a friendly interaction. Like, I can understand that Joan uh keeps in mind how talented Peggy is uh and is willing to put everything else aside but I, I did I, it just felt kind of impromptu to me well and it also feels like the kind of thing that um would come to her as a great idea uh in the time when she's like who could I who is someone to work with and she's like I'm not gonna work with another guy because of my experiences in McCann I'm not gonna find another guy who's gonna take me seriously and even if she did, then finding when she's working, people would look to the guy every time. And she goes, oh, Peggy, I could do Pe yeah, and, and thinking it's a great idea and not remembering how frequently they butted heads and that maybe it actually yeah. isn't the best idea. Um, so, yeah, that I thought that that worked, though. I do see what you're saying about there being some behind like some scenes clearly happened off screen that we didn't see um, with those two characters. And, yeah, that could be jarring. I also think that, you know, talking about scenes that are happening off screen, for me, because uh, there's so many people that see, and again, it goes to the, back to the ending, but Don in this episode is such a cynical and negative person so and very selfish. And obviously he is being very selfish, but I, I think it's a mistake to assume that this ending or, and this episode means that he's not going to go back to New York and be a good parent to his kids. Like, he was asked by Betty to stay away and how does he, is there a way for him to come back and not 
you know, and, and be in, be do what he wants to do, which is, you know, reintroduce himself very, very uh, prominently into his kids' lives while respecting her dying. Yeah, she's dying wishes. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that it matters. Um, That's true. Consider, considering it doesn't exist. Um, but, um, uh, again, you were, we're, we're into the issue of, of what, what does Don do? What is Don's epiphany? What is the, the weight of it? I mean, he's, he's spent the last four or five episodes sure that he was sick of New York, sure that he was sick of advertising, uh, and sure that he would, he was going to divest himself of everything, uh, including his car, uh, ultimately, and just sort of fade fade out into nothingness, um, which uh, is a difficult thing to to orchestrate when you're not actually dying. And um, I mean, does he actually reverse that, or is it just a fantasy? I I don't know. Um, personally, uh, I I think that. Uh, like I said, I subscribe to the idea that it really is as simple as the fact that he that he does come up with the ad. I think there's, you know, I I don't see them. You know, I don't see you doing all that signposting only for it to be uh, a metaphor. Although there's certainly nothing uh, nothing wrong with that reading. Um, and if he does make the ad, then there's no reason that everything you just said couldn't be true. Uh, but of course, none of it exists, so who cares? <laughs> well, I think it also you know, Don. Every time he's left and gone off. To basically to the west coast in the past in the show he's come back it's very entitled and very selfish the way he does that but every time he's done that he's come back a slightly more whole and better person um and it's been a good thing for him if not for all of the people he's abandoned in doing that in the past um so i i think that also affects my read of it Let, let's get to um do you have any thoughts on roger or or uh, or Pete before we we have some fun with Peggy. Uh, I I love the last uh, Pete and Peggy scene. Um, had some of the best lines of the episode, and it was just nice for them to have one last warm send off. But yes, let's get to st- st- yeah, Stan and Peggy. Let's do that. So here's the thing: wonderful scene, totally beautiful, fantastic performance by both actors, and I love that it's over the phone because that's so fitting for those two characters. I kind of I almost couldn't accept it as I was watching it, because it was so exactly what people like myself uh, and and other fans of the show have been calling for for years. So the scene finishes, it cut to commercial, and I turned to my, my dad and my sister, at least two years I've been waiting for that. And they gave me exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Mad Men, weird. Mad Men never does that. Exactly. It felt a little weird. I mean, I'm done, don't 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 get me wrong. They can't take it back. No take, no, no take backs. That, that, well, there's literally no take back <laughs> at this point. But but it was a little jarring because it was so exactly what I would hope that they would say. Yeah. Um, you know, as as we were nearing the end of Mad Men, uh, I, I talked a little bit about how it was the end of the of the difficult dramas era. And I was really expecting a more difficult finale. I mean, obviously, the um, the last couple of shots did encourage some debate uh which has been fascinating to read but beyond that it was a very wish fulfillmenty finale and nothing got more wish fulfillmenty than the stan peggy scenes which uh especially the time like the way that she has the conversation with don and then it immediately filters out to the 
to the conversation with Stan, which uh, for some reason that ends up being the time that Stan just fucking goes for it. Um, which also happens to be the series finale. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was, it it was, uh, there was a lot of icing on that cake, certainly for Mad Men, like more icing than ever before. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it just felt so perfectly, I mean, him choosing that moment is very convenient, but her reaction is just so beautifully, pay- what, <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, it was hilarious. I laughed out loud several times. This was a very funny episode uh, of Mad Men, I thought. Just the, there were some visual gags, but or even like Roger, yell at me in English uh, or slower uh, was, you know, there were some really funny, funny lines and everything. But just the, the character awareness, this is like Peggy, like it was beautiful to watch. And yay, Elizabeth Moss. And I understand that most of this cast will never receive any uh, awards for their work on it, which is insane. Um but they've done such beautiful work and to have so many incredibly powerful scenes happen over the phone and still have that weight. I mean, we haven't talked about uh, Betty really at all, but January Jones was amazing in that call with Don. Uh, yeah. And um, as I said before, when I, when I eventually do, I don't know if I'll do a full series rewatch or just catch highlights, but um, I think that over time, people are really going to uh, find a new appreciation for her on this show because for years, years, people insisted she couldn't act. And uh, I think that people are going to come to regret that, uh, that, that view. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, character moments or beats that you want to, to focus on that really, you know, either were sort of odd to you or, or, or really worked? Were you glad we, we saw Stephanie? We haven't talked about her. How about, you know, Brett Gelman? Oh, my God. Gelman. That dude is everywhere. Yeah. It's like, I don't care if Nanjiani ends up being in more shows this year, because Gelman just won for sneaking his slimy-ass way into, into like, eight scenes of the Mad Men finale. <laughs> what is that? And he's and he doesn't do anything different. He's still Gelmaning it up. Still full Gelman. I was like, there were a few people that I was recognizing. It was just jarring because I know them from, you know, other shows set now. So it felt like a time zone, you know, kind of dissonance. Fiona Gubelman, uh, uh, being the the, the woman who's going to roll over Don, um, and then Gelman, and I'm just like, it was just jarring. But I kind of loved it, too, because they're like, ah, oh, fuck, we don't care. Not everybody needs to be like a 90s, you know, TV star. Yeah, just, let's, let's, let's throw some Gelman in there. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that was super weird. Uh. But fine. Congratulations, Gelman, on your accomplishment. Um. Yeah, seeing Stephanie again was was nice. And, and to have someone calling him Dick, I think, in, in, the, in the finale. And also, the as someone else noted, and I forget who who uh, who said this, but also the last person who will call him Dick. Yeah. Um, the only person who knew the actual Don Draper uh, still left alive that we know of, at least in the world of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, very important. And also, she becomes yet another person who doesn't really need him around, or at least uh, claims not to. And I think that's also, also sort of a last straw thing where he realizes, or, or is made to realize, you know, this is... Uh, this something has drawn me to this place, but this is not my place. Well, and I also love that we he we hear him reiterate basically what he told Peggy, and 
it doesn't work. The same lines aren't working and he doesn't have the relationship with Stephanie that he had with Peggy at that time. And so the same, the same advice isn't necessarily going to work. Um, yeah. And, and so to see him embrace instead of defining himself by the women in his life that he's going to try to fix or save as he so frequently has, instead he stays and tries to work on himself and maybe, you know, comes up with, perhaps the most definitive and uh, famous ad campaign of the seventies. Uh, who knows? But instead to, to end with him, I, I just love, and again, we talked about this last week. I love the sense of humor of, of this finale, the way that it ends. It was just like, it was like, Matthew was like, obviously I can't fully Sopranos this, but how can I just fuck with Twitter? And I, I just, I loved that again, that sense of humor that was throughout this finale. I don't think Weiner really wanted to fuck with anyone. Um, at least certainly not on a David Chase level. Uh, mind you, David Chase doesn't claims that he didn't want to fuck with anyone, which is hilarious because he very clearly did. Um, we'll get there when we do Sopranos soon. That's happening. Um, spoilers, but, um, yes, yeah, podcast spoiler. <laughs> um, is that a thing? Anyway, um, to me, like the finale just felt sort of, if anything, felt like the opposite of a soprano situation. It was, it was way more giving, almost, almost to a fault. Like I said, like as we were sort of hinting at with the Stan and Peggy stuff, like it felt like, uh, like like years of like years of drought with those characters, followed by a flood at the end. With okay, this is happening. This is happening on Mad Men. Um, <laughs> It was, which is why I was surprised to hear that some people were actually like angry or upset at the finale. Like, what, what more do you want? Like, he's, he's throwing everything at you. <laughs> you get all of the candy in this uh, finale. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought it was really good. I'm glad that, like I said up top, I'm glad that we're giving ourselves some time to some time to process and redo do some rewatching and really dive back in with the series. You know, take some time off and then dive back in with the series before we do our our DVD shelf. Um, but I, th I, th I think it was just, it was another episode of Mad Men. Instead of trying to be yeah. something different for the finale, it was Mad Men. And not everything was perfect. People would have loved to have an in-person scene with, with, with uh, Peggy and Don or with Don and Sally. And, you know, I absolutely understand that, but this is Mad Men, the Mad Men of the infuriating promos and stuff happening that you completely disagree, you know, the, stuff like the other woman happening that you just don't buy and uh, conveniences and over the hand, uh, overhanded or heavy handed metaphors. I mean, that's what the show's always been. And so uh, while every response is valid and, you know, y'all obviously are more than entitled to your own opinions, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am... I've enjoyed reading all the reactions. I've enjoyed the spectrum of reactions. And I think it was a, an excellent episode to end the series. Yeah. Um, I would say that it's a good finale. Mm -hmm. It's not like a mind blowing zom, uh, like the, uh, it's not, to, to me, it's not like an iconic finale. Yeah. Like love it or hate it. The Sopranos is an iconic finale. Um, like instantly so mm -hmm. um to the to the degree where like when people were angry at this i was like do you guys remember what it's like to have a finale you can get angry at because i don't think you do <laughs> um <laughs> anyway um it, it it was definitely a good finale I, I i i didn't have any mega issues with it nor was it like a transcendent finale it was a good finale and that's hard to do that's really really hard to do 
Uh, and I think, like you said, it mostly it felt like a good finale because it stuck to its guns in most of the ways that mattered. Yeah. Well, we'll be talking more about Mad Men, like we said a couple times later in the season, later in the summer, I should say. Uh, but for now, that'll wrap up our coverage of Mad Men on the podcast. Womp womp. A few show notes uh, before the end here. Uh, you can find a post-up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV, what you thought of the Mad Men finale. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes we have an M- where we have an M4A feed uh, with chapters and an unchaptered MP3 feed. You we, we would very much appreciate any ratings or reviews that you guys would leave there. It does help other people find the show. Um, you can also find us on Facebook where we have a page and you can like us to start up the conversation there again love to get comments at the fa- it, it's a rare thing but we do appreciate comments on the facebook page and i make an effort to to respond to those there and of course you can also find us on twitter uh, where i'm at the televerse and simon you are at sucker howl and what is our question of the week uh it's i mean it's gotta be mad men right yeah i mean how how did how did how did you process that is 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 done in new york is done in california is done on the moon with Steve. Uh, yeah, let us know what, what what you thought of all of this. And I think that's a much happier question than many of the other questions we could have had this yep. week in TV. Let's, let's finish. Let's keep this going and finish the podcast with a delightful bubbly segment on one of our favorite and most optimistic shows of this past season. Um, we're joined by Elena Rivera of Sound of Sight after this to talk, uh, to talk Jane the Virgin season one. So we'll be right back. This fall, Jane, when you lose your virginity, you can't ever go back. Jane made a promise. Stop! We should stop! You've been dating for two years and you haven't boned. But sometimes life... You're pregnant. But I've never had sex! ...makes a surprise delivery. I accidentally inseminated you two weeks ago. You what? I'm not ready to be a mom. You have become the best part of my life, and this will be the best part of your life, too. Jane the Virgin. Series premiere coming this fall to The CW. Una flor, voy a regalarte esta noche de luna llena para confesarte lo mucho que me gustas, lo mucho que hay en una flor para perfumarte del amor del que voy a hablarte y quiero demostrarte lo mucho que me gusta. Le, le, la hemos de compartir los dos, le, le, los dos metidos. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And I know we said we were almost done with these, but we had to do one more season spotlight because Jane the Virgin came to an end this week. And it's not like we weren't going to do a season spotlight about that. You guys all knew that was coming. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about season one. And here to help us break it down from Sun on Sight is Elena Rivera. Elena, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciated the article that you wrote for us about representation and the ways that Jane the Virgin stands out, not just as a really good show, but as a sadly unique show um, in its depiction of of Latino and Latino characters as rounded characters, as heroes and heroines in the story and not just side characters or, you know, a bit of flavor amongst a very white cast. Um, So I'm curious for you, because for me, I I love that. I really love that part of it. Um, And I also just love it as being such a good show 
are you able to separate those two? So can you, do you appreciate them for those two elements or does it all combine for you? I think both elements are really important to me um, to finally have a show that I feel like really represents the diversity of my friends and family, as well as just having some really dynamic and um, awesome characters. Uh, Jane as a lead is such an amazing protagonist. She gets to be warm and funny and caring and has such a strong family background and dynamic, but she also gets to be this romantic lead and heroine and have these two guys like fighting and pining over her. Um, I think the combination of those two things is what makes Jane the Virgin for me really special. Um, there have been a lot of other shows with Latino characters. Well, maybe not a lot, but there have been shows with Latino characters. But there hasn't been a show that's so focused on really representing the diversity of life as a Latino in the United States, um, which is different than life as a Latino in a different country um, or even in Canada or something like that. And um, that's, I think, what I keep coming back to and what invigorates me about the, the show continuing and just watching the show on a weekly basis, that it feels like it's coming home. It's telling the stories of people that I know, uh, people that are like me, people that are different than me. But I feel kind of this, it's, it's such a homey feeling to come back to the show every week. And that's something that I know is not everywhere. It's just such a wonderful antidote to antihero. Uh, mm -hmm. to programming. And we talked about this on the podcast last year with Mo Ryan, the rise of B-movie TV and um, shows like Orphan Black and and uh, Orange is New Black and, and other shows with a much more female point of view and perspective uh, as far as it's like lead protagonist, but also just you know getting away from that notion of the dark male you know, anti-hero being the center of the show and that being the point of view of the show and the refreshing, just bubbly energy and an optimism mm -hmm. and, and warmth, like you said, of the series is really, I think, probably its single biggest uh, benefit for me, or the thing that I most appreciate about the show. Mm. Definitely. Simon, what do you think? What, what, what stands out to you most at looking at this season of television? Um, I have to say that, especially now that we've had a whole 22-episode season, as much as I think, that for me, the the maybe not the quality, but my personal engagement with it slipped a little bit in, I want to say, the back six or so episodes when the conflicts really ramped up, uh, especially in the last three or four episodes. Uh, also, I, I found certain aspects were getting a little bit gimmicky by the end, but these are really nitpicks. Uh, besides uh, my own misgivings, uh, it's clear that this is... I, I can't remember the last show that had a full network order where the whole season was this good. Veronica um, Mars? <laughs> like, okay. I, I think you have to go back that far. Right. And when was season one of Veronica Mars? Like 2003 or something? Yeah. 2004. 2003, 2004. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, 12 years is a pretty, pretty good run to be trumping. <laughs> um, and, and also, um, I, I, something, it, 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 it's funny that we're linking it to Veronica Mars, which a, a show it actually has a couple things in common with, um, but also, um, in all that time, no one has really, to to my recollection, even attempted an hour-long comedy. Which to me, like, obviously, it has soap elements, and it's got, um, it's got a lot of heightened other stuff going on at the periphery. But first and foremost, to me, it's a comedy, a romantic comedy. I would point to shows like Ugly Betty. Um, which a lot of people think of uh, immediately when thinking of Jane the Virgin. For me, they're rather different, but it's also that hour-long romantic, 
I mean, drama, but it's really, for me, it's more of a comedy than anything else. And there have certainly been other hour-long, com- comedic hour-long shows. Um, not so many recently, but I feel like Orange is the New Black, Black is frequently a full-on comedy for an hour. And there's plenty of other shows that I can think of. But a network show, I think, is what I would, I guess, connect to. So you have to go back to something like Gilmore Girls to get an hour-long comedy. Right. Uh, so there's just there's just so much about it that is uh, it's a total outlier show. And I mean that in a good way. I'll be very curious to see um, in the fall, the CW, obviously, they've renewed it and they're they're pairing it up with another hour long comedy uh, called musical uh, crazy, comedy, uh, musical comedy uh, called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I, I, I urge no one to watch the trailer because it's extremely spoilery. But if you do watch it. It looks amazing. <laughs> so if I hope that doesn't jinx it, because it just seems like it's going to be such a great pairing. Uh, and if they manage to, if if it's anywhere near Jane levels of good, uh, the CW will instantly have one of the best comedy nights on TV, period. Uh, Elena, how does Jane speak to you as a comedy? Do you see that as its primary influence, or do, you, or do you connect more to the romance side of the show? I think... So, Simon, I thought that you talking about it as a comedy is really good. I don't think there has been a network, an hour-long, really an hour-long show that has done the comedy part of whatever kind of genre mishmashing they're doing so successfully. I do find when I'm watching Jane the Virgin that I have laugh-out-loud moments. Um, I think that a lot of that is the way that they play with the way they tell stories. So there are, like, the funny hashtags that Rogelio has, or the narrator will be talking about the scene and add a funny comment or add kind of shading or humor. And then I think um, Gina Rodriguez is an amazing and versatile actress, and she has some great facial expressions, or her abuela has great facial expressions, and it's it's in, I think comedy is in the lifeblood of Jane the Virgin. Um, but the thing that always surprised me and is encouraging and really cool about the show week to week is that it is this kind of weird smorgasbord of every single genre of show that they can fit into it. And to me, the times where that's successful are so much, so many more times than the times where I feel like it's kind of straining at the seams to combine all these kind of very tonally different things sometimes. Um, but comedy comes out loud and clear, and it's it's good that there's a focus on comedy because if not, the show would be dark, dark, dark. There are dark things that happen on it. So yeah, and it really just that that Latin lover narrator does so much to establish the tone and really to make you feel safe in this ridiculous heightened world that is also at times it's very heightened obviously there's all this these telenovela um influences and and elements but it also you know can you when's the last time you saw a show where a character rode the bus and we actually watched them ride the bus and that was part of their daily lives there while this is very you know over the top on a consistent basis it also is grounded in a sort of middle class experience that most of the time you don't get to see on TV. Well, I mean, the Jane, the Jane parts are grounded in, yes. in, uh, yes. in middle class experience. Not so much with Jane and uh, Alba. Anyone, not so much with anyone who's not in the Villanueva family, or I guess Michael. Yeah. But still. Well, I don't know how much do like police detectives make. I mean, he has his own apartment in Miami. He's doing okay for himself. That's true. Yeah, I'm, he's I'm a just, little I'm, too okay, really, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking more about obviously Raph, his family, and then and then you know 
things like, uh, I mean, obviously, um, Rogelio is doing incredibly well for himself. <laughs> and uh, even, I, I would say, and we commented this at the time, by the, by the time that uh, Zoe starts dating, like, a, a former soccer star, it's like, okay, guys, we've had enough of the rich dudes. <laughs> well, let's talk about one of the characters that I know is the most div- divisive amongst at least Simon and myself. But I think in the fan base, there's a little division um, I think most of the fans are with you, though, Simon, so credit. Uh, but let's talk about Petra, because that is one of the characters that uh, I am having the biggest trouble with at this point in the show, because I think that the actress is doing a wonderful job, and I think the writers have done a really good job uh, as well of humanizing her and making her relatable, making her funny and interesting and developed as a person. However, they pushed her so hard into the villain camp early on in the show that I'm having a hard time accepting their walk back of that. I mean, yes, this is, again, like I said, it's heightened. There's telenovela elements in here. But I'm having a really hard time getting past, you know, things like faking spousal abuse or drugging Raph uh, and setting him up with a hooker. And that's not even (laughs) getting to, you know... Her mother tried to kill Alba. So hey, don't don't pin her mother's crimes on her. Yeah, but she She's a separate person. Yes, however, she is is intrinsically linked with her mother, and she supported her and, and you know helped her threaten to deport uh, Jane's abuela. So I can't just I I can't get okay. over that. Is this so, just a me thing? Uh, put 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 yourself in her shoes for a moment. Let's say that it was your mom. Who is accused of pushing a poor old, of pushing poor abuela down down some down some hotel stairs and and almost killing her? And I know she totally did it because I know my mom is terrible and evil in this scenario because Petra now <laughs> knows her mom is the worst. Right, but still, she's your mother. You're not. You're not. I mean, I, I see what you're trying for, but it's not. It's not working. Elena, <laughs> where are you at with this? So I feel super torn about Petra as a character. I think that I totally agree with you, Kate. I kind of genuinely, the wonderful thing about Jane the Virgin and sometimes the tough thing is that it moves so fast. So I actually forgot about the drudging part and the setting them up with the hooker. Totally forgot that part. Um, Remembered the spousal abuse stuff. So I, I get what you're saying. I think that there, Jane the Virgin in the beginning when I was trying to find its own and still kind of work on character development was really pushing Petra as this straight on villain. But then I thought that once, once Petra like got back in touch with Milos, her ex-boyfriend kind of learned about the shadings, took over part of the hotel. I really loved seeing her in a position where she had authority and power and was kind of channeling her like villainous personality into like the business world And I, so I really enjoyed kind of the middle stretches of episodes with her, where she was kind of negotiating and dealing with the hotel management, um, trying to figure out if um, the, oh my gosh, what's my good name? The twin brother came back was really, was really Roman or not. I really enjoyed that kind of whole middle part, but then I'm a little bit disappointed the way that the latter half of the season is left her because she's back to pining over Rafael. And I was like, oh, weren't we over that? Isn't that already done? The the thing that I thought was interesting was we got a, in the middle point, there was that great scene with her and Jane at, in the stairwell where it really seemed like they were going to turn a corner with Petra. 
and where also where you had that moment where you know it, it seemed as though Jane was going to be like, "Wow, this is a person who's who's been through a lot." And, you know, maybe we can come to a place of understanding, which is where I was hoping they were going with it. And then it turns out they were totally not going that way. The thing that I find interesting about Petra, and I'm not going to deny that she's done many, many bad things, um, but thing, bad things happen to Petra that, and some of them are her fault and a lot of them are not. And um, she reacts to those things poorly and in the, in a manner that a, that a bad person would, although I'm not totally convinced that she is or is meant to be a bad person. Whereas mostly good things happen to Jane. I mean, I know the pregnancy thing uh, was not was not planned, but she seems to be rolling with it. <laughs> was not um, planned. <laughs> you know That's what I mean. That's one way to put it. <laughs> and also that wasn't Petra's fault. Um, but uh, I, what I'm saying is, besides that, largely good things happen to Jane, whereas almost uniformly terrible things happen to Petra. Uh, and so maybe that makes me more inclined to uh, to be sympathetic, even though I recognize that, uh, you know, obviously she she hasn't uh, she hasn't always done great things. I, I I when you were talking about her early development, um, you know, if if you're looking at a, at a soap or or I presume a telenovela situation, you need villains. And uh, I guess, you know, they, they they really did want to push Petra as the villain. But I'm not sure whether it was uh, the actress's comic capabilities or, or some other uh, or some other element. But I can't imagine that where the character ended up was what they had in mind originally. Well, I got to say, I kept, you're saying you were expecting the season to turn and for there to be an understanding with Jane and Petra. I was waiting until they reintroduced her trying to get Raph back. In the second part of the season, I kept waiting for them to hook up Petra and Michael because I feel like that's mm. that's the pairing I see. Because like when they have their their hijinks or whatever, I just feel like there's, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for them to be just a happy foursome. Be like, oh, remember when you were married to you and you were engaged <laughs> to you, and aren't we glad we worked all that out? Th that feels like end of season five. Like you're skipping many steps to get there. Although I will say they would have very beautiful babies. Everybody on the show would have very beautiful babies with everybody Gosh. else on the show. That's true. It's a very beautiful show. A very beautiful beautiful cast. <laughs> true. What are your guys' ships that haven't happened yet? Hmm. I I am one of the best surprises and thing that I love that I hope season two revisits all the time is the Rogelio and Michael bromance. That was a pairing that like I did not ever imagine would happen. Came kind of out of left field when Rogelio wanted to shadow Michael's police work, but I loved them. thought in the finale, Rogelio's like little excited face when Jane was talking about how she was texting Michael. That relationship has become one of my favorites on the show um, and definitely not one that I thought was ever going to intercept, but I'm excited to see kind of how season two keeps developing their friendship um, as the show goes on. How about you, Simon? Uh, that's actually where I was going to go with that as well. Um, and I think it was such a graceful way to keep Michael plugged in in a section of the season that he really had no business being in at all otherwise. Um, and it also, like, it it fed into so many things at once so well. I mean, it, it gave Michael uh, an outlet to talk about Jane that wasn't creepy and it uh and it it made it gave raf another uh justifiable yet incorrect reason to feel insecure about things and of course it also gave uh Rahelia something to do that wasn't just uh interacting with zoe 
uh, or, you know, hang out on his space sitcom or whatever, or uh, space telenovela rather. Um, so th- I, I, it was one of, the, it must've been the, one of those eureka moments in the writer's room where, where one pairing, uh, kills multiple birds, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And, and seeing how the, the love triangle that has reared its head again at the end of the season, seeing how that plays out and how that affects the show moving forward is one of those elements. I was so glad that the finale did not end with that being the, the cliffhanger, um, and how that's going to shape things moving forward. I'm a little um, leery about it because I want everybody to stay on the show, but I'm very tired of Michael and Raph sniping at each other. Um, however, to transition us, we haven't talked about the finale in our week in TV because we're going to talk about it here. We have to talk about that cliffhanger. First of all, baby mm. Mateo is adorable and just, oh my God, so adorable, so cute. Well done, baby casting. But <laughs> I... I understand it's part of the telenovela thing. I get it. But I hate them for kidnapping baby Mateo out of Jane's arms. Like, that sh- And again, that's one of those things that should just change her forever. She should never be okay after dealing with that. How is she going to be a normal parent and not like a like freakishly protective and terrified parent after this? My thing about that is that she needs to get Mateo back by at latest the midway point of the season two premiere, because otherwise it becomes it's from what we know about Jane and and her her uh, control freakness. If you apply to that a a very justifiably freaky and horrible situation, uh, I would just imagine that being so unpleasant and just a, a. a setting the show does not ever need to go into. So I'm hoping that it's it's resolved very quickly. I mean, obviously it would have repercussions, especially for for Raph going forward, since it is connected to his family, which is something she expressed misgivings about already. But yeah, that's that is not a thing that they can have be a protracted problem without uh, causing a whole lot of other really bad issues. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see where it goes because I was reading. Um, Jenny Ehrman was giving an interview after the finale and she was saying how like everybody hold on it's going to be okay the baby (laughs) kidnapping really she was like comforting everyone Um, the baby kidnapping has like that she they had been planning the season up to that moment and there was a reason why Sinorostro was going to take the baby and that it would all be revealed like in the first couple of episodes and so I don't know I've read a lot of reactions that were really worried or some people even were saying that they would quit the show because the baby kidnapping was too far I don't know I I kind of figured like the the baby has been a catalyst for the season and and the beginning and the end of it but also I I mean I like parenting stories throws a kind of cool dynamic and very telenovela twist into what like the first couple days of and months of parenting looks like i'm excited to see how it turns out i think that what jane the virgin has showed me over the first season is that things that i really storylines or characters that i didn't know where they were going to go really proved to have some awesome endings or if they didn't really turn out to be exactly the best thing for the show they had a graceful and quick exit and so i'm hopeful that whatever comes of the baby kidnapping plot that it's either going to be a really cool kind of different storytelling avenue or they're going to realize it doesn't work and then just like fix it quickly so we can move on (laughs) yeah and uh 
Yeah. <laughs> One of those two. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> holding out for. Uh, are there any other parts of the finale or this season that you guys are skeptical about? Is there some, like, for me, I'm sure this won't be much of a barrier for long, but poor Alba, she gets, she likes one guy and he turns out to be a priest. Ah, I was actually, another thing I wasn't wild about with, with the finale was the fact that there was so much going on that we didn't get as much time with the Villanueva ladies just be, just hanging out together. Um, at, at this very crucial moment as I would have liked, especially we, we got very little Alba in the finale, which was uh, unfortunate. But, uh, I mean, other than that, there was a lot of good stuff going on. I liked, uh, I liked Michael being, being slyer than even the narrator expected. And, uh, and also that rare moment of, of Raph and Michael colluding to, uh, you know, to, to make the, to make the, the birthing go as smoothly as humanly possible, uh, was a really sweet moment that they think that they also smartly didn't emphasize too much. Um, uh, yeah, so there was, I didn't think it was a perfect finale by any means and certainly not close to, I would say like the mid, the middle, let's say the middle nine of the season or so, um, were almost perfect. And then, and it's been slightly, slightly below that since then, but yeah, it was, it was a perfectly fine finale, I thought. For all of the kind of build up, I mean, we had 22 episodes to anticipate the birth of the kid, known from day one, almost like seen what was going to happen. For all the anticipation, I thought that the actual birth scene and the whole hospital scene in the finale was beautiful. Just the the parallel shots in the intro with Zoe giving birth and Alba talking her through it and to that kind of the three-way shot of Jane on the hospital um, and Xiomara and her mom all kind of being being that collective of Villanueva women together was beautiful. And I thought that all of the panic and the stress and, and the everyone colluding together, it was just a really beautiful moment for the cast and the characters coming together for this really momentous occasion in all of their lives. Um, but I, the, the problem, I guess, with finales sometimes, and Jane especially, is that the last like four or five minutes, so many things happened. I felt like the show kind of threw everything in the kitchen sink at the finale in the last couple of minutes. Um, but you know, the baby getting kidnapped, Petra discovering second um, sperm sample, and Siobhara and Rogelio getting married in Vegas. It was kind of everything all at once. And I don't know if I got to process all of those different threads as well as I would have liked. Yeah, I can definitely hear you with that. Um, I, I, I watched it a second time with my sister, and um, I think it's, given how much happens, I think they handle it well, and it's it's surprisingly like edited, put, you know, well put together where you can follow it all. But yeah, I can see how when we get to season two, it'll be good to do. Like the previously on is going to be insane before the season two premiere, mm -hmm. and that'll be definitely a good time to go back and rewatch. The, the finale to just kind of keep, refresh because there is so much that goes down in that those last five minutes, like you say, Elena. Um, well, we're nearing the end of our time. Do we have any favorite moments or uh, reveals or characters or, you know, elements we want to shout out? Simon? Um, I would have liked to have spent more time with, uh, with Jane at the Catholic school. 
Um, I I really thought that was an, an element they hadn't run out of promise with. I mean, it's there's something to be said for not over well, uh, you know, overstaying uh, an idea's welcome, but I, I just felt like that had more potential as yet untapped, which I guess we'll, now we'll never see. Elena? I, so for my long wait until the show comes back in October, I'm going to be watching that dream dance sequence over and over again. That's something that I still think about the beautiful David Bisbal singing on the stage and um, Gina Rodriguez like trained as a salsa dancer as a kid. So her footwork is awesome. And the kind of the rope, the beautiful combination of romance and, and the dream dance sequence is something that I still remember from the season. Yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun. Um, for me, I, I think that I actually really like the way that they brought back Nadine, and I think that could be a surprising highlight of season two. Um, I thought that, thought that was really great. But the, the again, for me, and you already talked about this, Elena, but I, I feel like we should emphasize it here at the end of the, the podcast. Um, Gina Rodriguez is amazing. It's just, th- this show shouldn't work, and her performance is what makes it work. There's there's so much going on. It'd be so easy for it to go wrong, for it just a slight tweak of performance could ruin everything. And she is just one, she's just so damn good at everything they give her to do. And um, it's, it's just, it's just wonderful to see that kind of a perfect match of character and performer and writer and producer all kind of come together with this show. And I look forward to them giving new things for her to do. Like, I would love to see her rap again. I would love to see mm-hmm. her dance again. Like there's so much more that they've kind of teased as part of her, Jane's background, partially based off of Gina Rodriguez's like skills and, and personality. And I would love for all of those details to come back. And again, I just, I've loved this show all year. I'm so glad that the pr- the promise of the the pilot was not a flash in the pan, and hopefully more people will check it out over the hiatus once it shows up on. I want to say Hulu, maybe, or is it Netflix? Yeah. Where's it coming I think it's up? Hulu. Hulu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that needs people. If you haven't watched Jane the Virgin yet, I know you can't watch it yet, but later in the summer you will be able to. And as soon as that happens, we will do our best to alert you to it because you need to watch this show. Oh, and we were right before almost everyone. <laughs> ah, yep, right. I, I, this is one of those I do feel rather proud of myself because I called this from the pilot. Like from before I saw the pilot, I was intrigued by the premise, and then I saw the pilot and wouldn't shut up about it. And we saw the pilot early. We saw the pilot very early. Yeah. So that's one of those, like, I've been wrong about plenty of shows this year. I'm very glad to have been right about this one in the fall last year. So yep. uh, any any final hopes for season two, thoughts on season one? Um, I would like it to turn into a uh, into a love pentangle by the end of next season, just for fun. Just for funsies? Okay. D- just just with a bunch of new new dudes and maybe a lady. Okay. Elena, how about you? I... I hope that, I mean, I know we talk about how wonderful Jane the Virgin is, and I wrote an article about representation, but I hope that next fall pilot season or the fall television season, I don't have to just pull out Jane the Virgin as my only show to talk about Latinos. I hope that it doesn't, I mean, I love it deeply, but I hope there's more on the docket that can be this creative and diverse and fun and just showcase this wonderful group of people and 
Um, I think that the recent television slate's done a lot. There's been a lot of great um, shows that showcase diversity, but I want that trend to keep going because it's not just a trend, it's my life, so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Elena, where can our listeners find you and your work online? So I'm writing for Sound on Sight right now. You can also follow me on Twitter at Elena is awesome. That's E-L-E-N-A is awesome. Um, you can follow many of my thoughts. I don't always blog about television, but I definitely tweet about it. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I concur with your Twitter handle, by the way. I think it's an excellent Twitter handle. Um, oh, thanks. So thank you so much for coming on, Elena. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.